Good morning, church. The Bible reading today is taken from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1 to 4, and chapter 50, verse 4 to 11. And this can be found on, in your booklet. Chapter 49, verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my time, I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Chapter 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like the one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. 
who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. This is the word of the Lord. Let me add my welcome to you here at Trinity. That's my name is Des, and we're going to get into this great passage of Scripture from Isaiah. But before we do, let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the ways that you serve us. And we thank you for that great servant, the Lord Jesus, who didn't come to be served, but to serve. Father, we pray that you might make us to be more like him in every way for your glory, for our joy and for the salvation of many. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as parents, like most parents, we get our kids to help out around the house, that is, serve. So they clear the plates after they finish dinner, they make their bed, they tidy their room, all that kind of stuff. But to be honest, they're pretty bad at it. Like, we don't blame them for that. They're only little, but they stack the dishwasher all along, their beds are all wonky after they've made them, their definition of what constitutes a tidy room is still very different to ours. You know, if cleaning the house was left up to them, it would be a mess. Now, of course, thankfully, it's not up to them, so the house is not a mess. We clean it, and so we know that no matter how bad a job our kids do, the house will always be clean. The fate of our house doesn't rest in their little hands. But that doesn't mean we still don't want to teach the kids to get better at helping out. Yes, we can do it for them, but we also want them to be involved in it so they can get better at it. We want them to imitate us, to increasingly partner with us in the work around the house. And so we do the work, but we also get them to do it with us. Well, that's a bit like what's going on in the next section of Isaiah, chapters 49 to 52. In Isaiah 40 to 48, we've seen Isaiah write to a generation of Israelites 150 years in the future from his perspective, exiled in Babylon. And he's told them that God will bring them home soon. And once he's brought them home, he will give them a job to do, It'll be his servant. Their job will be to trust God and to call on the nations to trust him too. That's Israel's tidying their room, so to speak. But he can also tell them that they will actually do a really bad job at that. Once they're home, they won't trust God or call on the nations to trust him too. They'll ignore his orders and do their own thing. They'll leave their room a mess. Now, that doesn't mean that God's plan for the world is now ruined. As we saw two weeks ago, he will send another servant to do this work for them. An ideal, individual Israelite who will do everything that Israel as a nation was meant to do, but won't. We were introduced to him in chapter 42. Look at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He's someone who will delight God and save the world. 
trust God and call on the nations to trust Him too. So just because Israel will fail at God's work doesn't mean the work will fail. The servant will do it. But that doesn't mean that Israel can now just sit around the house and do nothing, leave the servant to do it for them. Israel's sin may not have thwarted God's plans, but it doesn't mean that He wants them to stay sinners. No, God wants, in His mercy, to make them servants too, the servants they were always meant to be. He will send His capital S servant to do the work, but that servant will also call them into His work, and He'll help them do it. That's what we see in chapters 49 to 52. And you know, I think it's got big ramifications for how we think about the Gospel and our involvement in it. So let's get straight into it. Our first point, if you're following along in your leaflet, which I hope you are, the servant of the nations. God has said all along that He wants to reach the nations with the good news of His salvation. And the servant says He will do it. It's Him speaking in the opening verses of chapter 49. And who does He talk to? Well, the nations of the world. Look at verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. And what does he tell them? Well, he tells them that God's called him to do a task. Look at the second half of verse 1. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. And what is that task? Well, the task is to speak. To speak sharp, incisive words. Verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And the point of those words is to display God's glory. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. And finally, who is to see that splendor? Well, it's not just Israel, it's the whole world. Look at verses 5 and 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I'm honoured in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring, those back, bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, it's not that he doesn't care about Israel. He does want to bring them back to God, as he says there in verse 5. It's just that that job alone is too small for someone as great as the servant. It's like getting Einstein just to teach grade 2 maths, or Beyonce only to sing at school dances. It's a bit of a waste of their gifts. Now, this servant is so great that the only job worthy of his talents is seeing the whole world come to know God, see his light. He wants salvation to reach the ends of the earth. And the servant can do it. But just because the servant can do the job doesn't mean he wants Israel to do nothing. God wants them to join with the servant in his work. Look at verse 8. This is what the Lord says. He's now speaking to the nation of Israel. In the time of my favour, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land and to reassign the desolate in its inheritances. He will make them a covenant for the people. Now, what does that phrase mean? 
Well, it's the same phrase that Isaiah used in chapter 42 to describe the big S servant. So Isaiah 42 verse 6, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. To be a covenant for the people is to embody God's commitment to the world, the agreement he's made with himself that says, I will never forsake you. And what's said of the big S servant in chapter 42 is said of the little s servants, Israel, here. What he does, they're to do. They're to be committed to the welfare of the world and to calling it out of darkness. That's why in verse 9, they're to say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. Because that's their mission in life, to call everyone in the world to join them in the freedom that God has given them. And the great news, Isaiah says, is that their mission will work. Many people will respond to Israel's call to trust God and be free. Look there at verse 12. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of Aswan. That's just a place in the south. People from all over the world will see the light of God's salvation. And the result will be rejoicing throughout all of creation. Look at verse 13. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. God's people are not just to watch on from the sofa as the servant does his mission for them. No, they're to join with him in it because that's what he wants them to be. Servants who serve too. That's why in the New Testament... Paul and Barnabas can say what they say in Acts chapter 13 as they go out on mission. Acts 13, 47. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. It's interesting. They quote Isaiah 49, 6, which is about the servant, but they apply it to themselves. They so identify with the servant Jesus that they see his mission as their mission. You see, Jesus is passionate about reaching people with the gospel. That's why he's promised, I will build my church. But he won't do it without us. Or he can, but he very rarely does. Far and away, the most common way for someone to become a Christian is by hearing the good news from another Christian. That's why Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Because if we don't, they won't be made. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means we've got to be on about evangelism as a whole church. You see, evangelism is not an optional extra for us. It's something that would be nice to get to if we can, but you know, no worries if we can't. No, Jesus is on mission to the world and so he calls us to be on mission too. That's why we want to support our world mission agency, CMS. And if you'd like to do that, I'd encourage you to do it. Get on their prayer list, contact a missionary, start giving. Because that's our job as God's servants, 
to see salvation go to the ends of the earth. That's why slightly closer to home, we want to plant a church in the West. We've been talking about this for years, and now we think the time is right to do it. To plant a church next year, out West, to reach more people for Jesus. That's exciting. There's still lots to do. We'll need people to go, and pastors to support them, and a venue to meet in. We're starting to work on it now, and we hope to have some more details to give to you soon. But in the big scheme of things, that's just details. Because we know what God wants us to do, offer people Jesus. So won't you start praying for that church plant even now? And won't you ask God if you're someone who should go? Because God wants people from all corners of this city to come to him. North, south and west. We've got to be on about evangelism as a church, if this is true, don't we? But I think it means we've also got to be on about evangelism as individuals. That's also not an optional extra for any of us. We're all servants called to mission. Now, that doesn't mean that we've all got to be big E evangelists proclaimers of the gospel, if you like, those people who are really good at explaining it in words. I think those kind of people are actually relatively rare, although when you find them, gosh, you want to let them loose. But it does mean that we've all got to have a heart for the lost, care for them, want to promote the gospel to them, even if we're not gifted at proclaiming it. And there are so many ways you can do that. You can pray or give or learn how to answer tricky questions? You could sign up for any number of those things on our serving survey, which we're distributing around church at the moment throughout February. You could join a mission team. We'd love to have you. Because that's part of what we're called to do as God's servants. Hold out the gospel to the world. Because, you know, when we do, when we align our plans with God's plan for the world, that enlargens our life. Do you remember what God says to the servant? I could just send you to Israel, but that would be too small a thing for you. I want to send you to the ends of the earth. And it's the same for us. We could just play church. It would be easier. But that would be too small a life. Now, if you're a Christian, God's called you to a big life a life caught up in his plans for the world. Don't you want to be a part of that? A life full of joy and heartbreak and plans and people? A life so much harder but also so much bigger than just a good job and a nice house and an easy death? God's called all of us to a big life. Don't waste it. But what will that big life look like, probably? Very ordinary. Just praying regularly for a friend. Inviting them to church when you can. Being there when the wheels fall off and they need someone to talk to. Leading at Explore or offering to read the Bible with someone who's curious about Jesus at the same cafe you always go to. And it may be a life with a good job and a nice house and an easy death. None of those things are bad on their own. It won't be glamorous. It won't feel extraordinary. 
but a life like that will be extraordinary because you will be part of the most extraordinary and audacious mission ever carried out in the face of the earth. God's plan to see people one for Him. The servant is to call the nations to trust in Him. And so we, God's people, are to imitate the servant and to be about calling people to trust God too, to be on mission. But the servant doesn't just want to reach the nations. He also wants to look after his people. He speaks again in chapter 50, verses 4 to 11, but this time the nations have faded from view. Now the focus is on how the servant can serve his people, Israel, how he can help and refresh them. Look there at verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wants to help his weary exiles once they're home. Now, how will he help them? By teaching them how to listen. You see, what does the servant do? He listens to God. Look at verse 4. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The servant listens to God. More than that, he doesn't just listen, he obeys when he hears. Look at verse 5. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. The servant doesn't just listen to God, but is determined to turn what he hears into obedient action. He will listen, but then obey, no matter what the cost. And finally, the servant knows that he can endure any suffering he experiences because of his obedience, because God will look after him. Look at verses 8 and 9. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? Basically, the servant here is being presented just as a model Israelite, an ideal disciple. He listens to God, turns it into action, and trusts God to look after him, even when he knows that obedience will hurt. And so Isaiah tells the rest of the Israelites, who are also God's servants, to do the same. To listen to God, obey Him, and trust that God will care for them, even when obedience hurts. That's why when you read on, you notice that all the calls in the rest of this section are for Israel to listen. Are you feeling small, Israel? A bit inadequate for the job? Well, then 51 verses 1 to 2. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. They may be feeling small and like not much, but God started their nation with just two people, and he built from them so we can do it again. So, Israel, listen to that, and when you're feeling weary, 
be sustained. Are you feeling scared, Israel? Well, then you should listen. Verses 7 and 8. Hear me, you who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will devour them like wool. But my righteousness will last forever, my salvation through all generations. They may feel like their enemies are going to overpower them now that they're back in the land. But God says, don't be afraid, I'll defeat them. So hear me when your fear makes you weary and be sustained. Are you feeling guilty, Israel, even after you know you've been forgiven? Well, then chapter 51, verse 21. Therefore, hear this, you afflicted one, made drunk but not with wine. This is what your sovereign Lord says, your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. Israel, you may feel unforgiven, even though God has forgiven you. So hear this again. You're no longer under my wrath. I've taken that cup out of your hands. So when you're feeling weary from your guilt, listen to that and be sustained. You see, Jesus, apart from being the ideal missionary, is also the ideal disciple. He listens to God and does what he says as his servant. And so Isaiah says, we do the same thing too. We're not just to call the nations to trust God, but we're to trust Him ourselves. And of course, the only way we can trust Him is if we listen to Him. That's why reading the Bible is so important for us. It's the way we hear God speak to us by the Spirit. It's why it's crucial to get into good Bible reading habits. Over my adult life, to be honest, I found regular Bible reading really hard. Life is just so busy and things come in, it's hard to find the time. But this year, I've made a breakthrough. I've begun reading just a chapter a day and it's been great. It's manageable for me and if I miss a day, that's okay, I just catch up on it the next day. Now, it may be that you can read more than that in a day. It may be that you can read less. But the key is regularity getting into the Bible every day so you can listen to God and be instructed by Him as a servant is instructed. Because, you know, the good news is that reading our Bibles, listening to God, is actually for our good. God tells us to do it, not because we can do something for Him, but because He can do something for us. It's to make our life easier, not harder. I mean, let's be honest, reading the Bible can feel like an obligation, a chore. But when you read it, remember what it is. It's a word to sustain the weary. When you're feeling small, listen to what God says. He doesn't say, get bigger. What does He say? He says, I can work with small. I did that with Abraham and Sarah, so I can do that with you. When you're feeling scared of what people will think of you when you share the gospel, God doesn't say, toughen up here, does He? No, He says, don't fear, I'll protect you. When you're feeling guilty, even though you know you've been forgiven, God says, 
I know you still feel ashamed of what you've done, but trust me, you really are forgiven because I've taken the cup of my wrath out of your hand and I've given it to my son to drink and he drank it for you willingly. You know, I reckon if we come to the Bible every day expecting it to say something that will help us, comfort us when we're feeling weary, rather than just give us a list of jobs to do, I reckon we'd find it much easier and much more joyful to read. I've certainly felt that. God sends His Son, Jesus, to be the servant who will trust Him and call on the nations to trust Him too. But He calls us to be His servants as well, to trust Him like Jesus trusts Him and call on the nations to trust Him like Jesus calls on them. But He helps us do it by catching us up into His big vision to save the world and sustaining us as we listen to Him day by day. And that's good news in anyone's language. So let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that the fate of the world doesn't rest in our hands. You know we're imperfect servants and that's why You've sent Jesus, the ultimate servant, to trust You perfectly and to call on the world to trust You. Thank You that that just relieves so much pressure from us. And yet, Father, we also see from Isaiah that You don't want us to just let Him do it all. Rather, You call us into Your work to be Your servants too, to also be a light to the Gentiles, to also to see salvation go to the ends of the earth, and to also, like Jesus listens to You, listen to You and trust You, knowing that You're for our good. Father, we pray that You would help us to do these things by Your Spirit, for your glory to make us happy and to see many people come to know you through Jesus by the power of your spirit too. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.